Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kimball Otto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to this week's In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey here with your host, Kim Bellotto. Kim, we've got a big show on tap today. We've got David Blackman coming up. We've got Tom Mulliken. He'll be in the next segment. And uh, we've got a lot to get to. But first, I think we want to talk about Teak Day. We do. We're very excited. You know, we have a day scheduled to, uh, it's called Teak Day, Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. Uh, we will be taking a big uh, tour bus to our state capitol to talk to our legislators about how important energy is, um, how we understand uh, as uh, voters and as business owners and uh, people that work in the um, uh, businesses outside of oil and gas, how we really do depend on oil and gas. And so it's going to be a great day planned with legislators talking to us, uh, uh, speaking to us at the state capitol's stairs as well as us going in and talking to the legislators directly and shaking their hands it's going to be an amazing day that's going to be on february 22nd 222 remember that write that down put it in your phone calendar or, or however you keep track of things february 22nd is teak day we're going to the capitol come get on the bus how does how does somebody get on the bus with us well we are this year taking off from corpus and picking up in san antonio um, and then heading on into austin however we have many, many uh, citizens that are coming and driving up in their own vehicles and meeting us there. Um, so if they're in the area of Corpus or can get to San Antonio, they're welcome to come with us on the bus. If not, they can meet us there. Um, and we will have t-shirts. We'll have lunch provided to them. Um, and it's just a great day packed with all kinds of stuff to do at our state capitol. For more information on Teague Day, how do you get it? They need to go to shellmag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E mag.com and click on the teak button t-e-a-c and from there they can register of course it's free uh, but we do need to know who wants to ride the bus so we know how many buses to uh, order well there you have it go to shalemag.com click on the teak button get registered and get your spot reserved on the bus again that's going to be february 22nd leaving from corpus with a stop in san antonio and a destination of the state capitol in Austin. It's going to be a great day. But right now, Kim, I think it's time to hook up with our resident energy expert, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Happy to be here. Man, I'm doing great. Hey, you know, we've got a lot of news to talk about. Uh, new administration has, has moved in. President Trump signing a lot of executive orders right now. A couple in particular that I, that I want to get your take on is the Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone XL. Tell me, how, how are these going to benefit America's energy plan? Well, it's it's a different case for each one. Uh, Dakota Access is, is a, a pipeline that's uh, designed to carry about 300,000 barrels a day out of the, the Bakken Shell region. Um, and, then, you know, one of the major benefits uh, of, of that pipeline getting completed would be to reduce the transportation of crude oil on trains, for one thing. Uh, it's much, much safer to transport crude oil uh, in a pipeline than it is on a train. And right now, uh, an awful lot of that Bakken shale uh, oil, which is pretty highly volatile oil, uh, is having to be transported on trains because there's a shortage of pipeline capacity. So 
the code of access is very important in that regard for, for safety reasons. And and it'll reduce the cost of, of, of transporting oil out of that basin into refineries along the Texas and Louisiana Gulf Coast. So um, if that does ultimately get the go-ahead, and, and neither one of those orders are actually uh, just a green light to start construction, but if, if it ultimately does, that'll that'd be a good thing uh, you know, for, for the producers up in the Bakken. Um, on Keystone, Keystone is a little more complicated. Um, it benefits in two ways and, and, and plays into the whole Trump uh, energy plan in a couple of ways. Uh, the first way is is helping refineries along the Gulf Coast. Um, right now, they're they're kind of being inundated with light sweet crude being produced out of Texas, out of Eagle Ford, in the Permian Basin, and a lot of these refineries are set up to be, you know, uh, their machinery is more set up to to refine heavier grades of crude. And, and right now, they, they need more heavy oil to blend with this light sweet crude oil to make the refining processes cleaner and more efficient. And so one thing Keystone will, will do is bring about half a million barrels a day of additional heavy crude down to these refineries to, to blend with all that light sweet crude and make the refining process more efficient. And then the second thing is the whole Trump energy plan, they're called the, uh, the America First Energy Plan. Uh, the whole goal is to stimulate U.S. production um, and to import more oil or you know, fill our import needs with crude coming in from countries like Canada, like Mexico, Venezuela, Brazil, here in the Western Hemisphere in order to reduce our reliance on oil coming from the Middle East and in countries that, you know, are sometimes hostile to American interests. Um, well, now, on a, on a quick on a quick side note, if if we start cutting back on on Middle Eastern oil, what is that going to do for the OPEC agreement? Is that going to cause those guys to start producing more and and put a glut of oil back on the market? Um, you know, well, that's a you know that's a good question actually, uh, and and an open question, frankly. Uh, we you know if if the plan does work as as they wanted to, and, and we start really dramatically reducing imports from the Middle East. Um, you know, nobody really knows how uh, the OPEC countries will react. Some of those countries, like Venezuela, are in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, but, you know, that's that's an open question. I think, though, when you really look at it, uh, just in their own best interest economically to have a, a stronger oil price. And um, so the way to do that is for them to continue to reduce their exports. And, and the reality is that you know, it costs less for Saudi Arabia to ship oil to China than it does to the United States. And, you know, countries like India and other Pacific Rim nations, uh, that's where really the increases in global demand are coming from. And so, um, you know, Middle East is, is in closer proximity to those countries anyway. So there's a lot of optionality in terms of where that Middle Eastern oil ultimately goes. Well, David, you know, talking about the America First Energy Plan, let's let's unpack that a little bit, and and what does that mean for oil and gas in America? Well, I think you know what what the administration plans to do is, you know, this these executive orders were just kind of a first step. Um, the president has already taken a step to freeze uh, the progress of, of several different. Um, 
regulatory actions coming from the EPA and the Department of Interior late in the Obama administration. There's going to be an effort to repeal some of those uh, heavy-handed regulations that were enacted towards the end of the administration. Uh, the new regulation, for example, on bidding and flaring that was enacted late last year has been frozen in, in its process, and, and they're going to work to reverse that. Now, just to be clear, when when you take some of these heavy-handed regulations and remove them, does that make us any less safe? Well, it, it, it just kind of returns it to the status quo that existed before. Bidding and flaring has always been regulated at the state level. Um, As it should be. And, and well, you know, those of us in the industry believe it should be because the state governments or, or the government, the people who are closer to the, where the action is and really understand better what's going on in their states. Um, so the Texas, you know, uh, uh, rescinding a regulation that hasn't even really gone into effect doesn't mean that bidding and clearing is unregulated. It's heavily regulated in Texas and, and every other producing state. Right, and that and that's where I was going with this. Just because a heavy-handed EPA regulation is is lifted or scaled back a little bit doesn't mean that the Texas Railroad Commission is not going to regulate fracking and flaring and 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 make make those industries any less safe for the American people. No, and and in fact, you know, here in Texas, uh, the Railroad Commission has really modernized its regulations uh, here over the last three or four years, really beefed up the regulating of hydraulic fracturing and well completions and venting and clearing and a variety of things, disposal wells. Uh, there's been a real concerted effort at the Railroad Commission to modernize and beef up its its own regulations. So um, just because the federal government isn't sticking its nose in something doesn't mean it's unregulated. Correct. And, you know, there's there's going to be quite a few other things uh, along those same lines. Um, the EPA had tried to finalize a regulation called the Waters of the U.S. that we've talked about on this show previously, um, which is a dramatic expansion of its authority under the Clean Water Act. Um, a federal judge put a stay uh, on that regulation last year, and it's at the appellate court level. Hasn't had a hearing yet in, the, in front of the appeals court, and the administration may decide to simply rescind its appeal of the district court judge's opinion and, you know, kill that regulation in that way. The president actually singled that regulation out during the campaign as one he wanted to reverse. So yeah, there's several others that are in the same boat. Uh, and, and so I think you're probably going to see regulations like that that are, you know, really the waters of the U.S. regulation is an expansion that was well beyond the intent of the Clean Water Act and most likely be reversed by the Supreme Court ultimately anyway. Um, so anyway, there's going to be a lot more of this. There will be more executive orders uh, designed to stimulate uh, U.S. production here. There's going to be a tax plan coming later this year, a uh, major revision in corporate taxes that most likely uh, will, you know, have provisions in it that will help stimulate the oil and gas industry here in the U.S., and, and the whole plan is designed to do that. Well, so things are looking good for 2017, and, and David, we're about halfway through Q1 of 2017, and in closing, we've got about a minute left in this segment. In closing, what is, in your opinion, the current state of the energy industry for the first quarter of 2017, and what do you think the outlook is for quarters two through four? 
Well, I think it's cautiously optimistic. I think we're we're in the beginning of a recovery. We've we've had a, a recovery in the oil price into the 50s. Hopefully, it will stay there. Uh, we have a big boom going on in the Permian Basin right now because it's so cheap to drill successful wells out in the Permian, and uh, hopefully that will begin to spread uh, to other parts of the state and other parts of the country, and uh, we can get this industry back to work uh, throughout the rest of the year. Um, but there's always, you know, flies in the ointment and potential for the, the price to go back down if, if the OPEC and, and Russia deal to reduce exports falls apart. So uh, while we can be cautiously optimistic, it's not time for any irrational exuberance. Well, let's cautiously optimistically get some people back to work and have a great year. David Blackman, thank you so much for joining us. You're our, our resident energy expert. Also, the associate editor for Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine, and we appreciate having you on the show each and every week. Right now, though, we do need to take a quick break. Coming up in the next segment, we've got Tom Mulliken. Stay tuned. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. The Women's Energy Network National Conference is coming up on April 26th through the 28th. This national conference brings together nearly 500 participants from across the country from multiple disciplines in the energy industry. The conference will showcase relevant and timely topics around the theme, energy resilience, refueling innovation, impacting energy professionals in the marketplace and the workplace. This is a great opportunity to connect with experts to increase your knowledge and transform your career while maximizing your contributions at work. The conference will offer a wide range of sessions to reach professionals in varying career stages, including executive-only tracks, continuing education tracks, and an exclusive mentoring circle. Companies and organizations in attendance will include FERC, Shell Oil, ComEd, ExxonMobil, Southern Company, Williams, Target Resources, and many more. Be sure to mark your calendars for April 26th through the 28th, 2017 in Houston, Texas at the brand new Marriott Marquis. Registration is coming soon, but you can definitely get details at womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston, click on the events tab, and scroll down to the 2017 Wynn National Conference link. And you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And today we actually have a very special guest on the line. His name is Tom Mulligan. Tom, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Now, Tom, before we get started, because I have a lot of questions for you being an environmental attorney, I want to start off by uh, asking you a couple of questions. Tell us who you are. um, How did you fall into being an environmentalist attorney? And where are you located at? Well, thank you. Um, that's a great question. I got started in, in, in the environment about uh, 1980. I had an opportunity to uh, work on Capitol Hill for the NOAA subcommittee of the United States Senate Commerce Committee. And at the time, I was uh, in at the University of South Carolina majoring in biology, and I really just fell in love with environmental issues. It's something that I'd Growing up with being in the outdoors in the southeast, that's just kind of the culture here, hunting and fishing and being on the river systems and out uh, in the ocean. And uh, I I decided to to leave my goal of going to medical school after completing pre-med and and going to law school. And uh, shortly uh, after law school, if you can believe it, I had... uh, Given some of my views now, I, I should say, I, I worked for then a, a young United States senator named Al Gore. And uh, it was working on Gore's staff that I first started uh, focusing on issues such as global climate change and uh, began a uh, what would become a corporate law 
energy and environmental law practice. Very interesting, especially when um, we'll get into Al Gore here shortly. So as an environmental attorney, you've been quoted as saying that the U.S. energy production is one of the greatest developments for our global environment. So how can that be true? This is where I think a sometimes uninformed or even misinformed public fails to put a couple of the pieces together. And let me say that what would be the very best outcome for the global environment is having manufacturing take place in the United States. Because if you look at um, atmospheric emissions from man, anthropogenic interference, you see that most of those are coming from either smokestack or, or tailpipe. And the reason why we've seen millions of manufacturing jobs leave the United States for places like China is because of the, uh, the cost of energy and the availability of energy. And so when you look at those jobs leaving the United States, you really begin to look at the worst, worst case scenario, not just for the United States, but also for the global environment. We lose those jobs in the case of manufacturing jobs, around 6 million manufacturing jobs over the last little more than a decade. So we, leave the, we lose those jobs. We lose the investment. And we, when we send those emissions in those manufacturing facilities to China, we not only increase greenhouse gas emissions, but we increase the so-called what I call the, the silent killers. One of the largest emitters of ambient mercury in the United States today is China. One of the largest emitters of things like uh, smog indicators in the West Coast is China. Uh, And when we begin to look at how moving these emissions and moving these jobs has impacted our global economy, we begin to pull that back and and we realize that one of the major issues in moving those jobs is a lack of available and less costly energy sources. These companies that are leaving four or 500 jobs at a time, so-called energy intensives, may be paying anywhere from six to $8 million a month in energy. So that as we have kept ourselves from becoming more energy secure, we've also had a major impact in increasing global greenhouse gas and other listed pollutants. Well, and you know, Tom, you bring up a good point as far as looking at other countries. And my thought has always been my belief that the United States not only develops great technology when we do create the technology and specifically in energy, we're always going to be looking for the greener way of doing it. And not all countries do that. It is the cheapest, the fastest, and who cares about the environment. And China is one of those countries that is not necessarily looking for the benefit of mankind or look and, and how it fits into um, global warming, if you will, or the uh, changing of the environment. It's basically going to develop to uh, enhance their country. And so that being said, you know, it's an interesting point when we look at how the United States has been consistently for the last eight years under assault from the Obama administration with all of the different ruling and regulation. And yet it's it's very hard to understand why, if it's so, it's such an important thing, and it is to do, then why are other countries not being penalized or forced into some capacity to develop more greener ways of developing energy? Well, and you'll hear 
you'll hear those the same folks say that that uh that the United States uh had a major impact during its years of industrial development but we we also didn't have the technologies that are available today and we didn't have the standards that we have today so those those really when you peel back those kinds of statements and arguments they just fall flat and when you look at very credible studies by the National Academy of Sciences and others you realize just what a terrible impact moving these manufacturing facilities to China and, and other parts of the Pacific uh, South have done. I mean, as much as 24% of the sulfate-based air pollution over the Western U.S. today is generated in China. Uh, you look at these other pollutants. Um, it's, you, we've gotten the exact opposite of what we wanted. I couldn't agree with you more, Tom. We're going to take a real quick break. When we return, we're going to pick this conversation back up. And you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Amerijet's global cargo network is ready to take care of all your shipping needs. With over 40 years of experience in the energy industry, we will help drive your excellent performance. Shipping general cargo, oversized, heavy lift, hazardous material, or mission-critical cargo? Amerijet is your full-service logistics provider, offering air charter, airport-to-airport, cross-border trucking, and express shipping. Amerijet will connect your company to over 30 major cities in the U.S. with more than 625 destinations worldwide. We provide global transportation solutions throughout the Americas, Mexico, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Your company will benefit from compliance with the highest safety and environmental standards, 24-7 security and surveillance, and online tracking. Let Amerijet's global team ensure the safe delivery of your cargo. For the best in customer satisfaction, Amerijet Houston is your commercial shipping partner. Call Amerijet at 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Once again, that's 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Managers, bosses, supervisors, hey, flu season is here. Don't let the flu bug bite your employees. Banish sick days and keep your workforce strong, healthy, and productive with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. Trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 866-334-2485. And you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest is Tom Mulligan with Mulligan Attorney at Law. Uh, Tom, before the break, we were talking about the reverse effect of seeing all of our manufacturing Uh, energy type of jobs leaving into other countries, specifically China, the impact that it has created through the environment. What are some of the recommendations that you can see? Like, I know you say host community support is critical to the energy industry development. Why is this the case? It's critical for a couple of reasons. I've done a, a fair amount of research on the development of environmental standards. And what I can tell you, going back to Greco Roman days, is that those standards have been enacted in response to, to public concerns. Um, and you, you see what has gone on is environmental issues at 30,000 feet are very complicated, very technical issues, and they're debated among very smart people, and, and that goes on. But at the local level, environmental issues are health issues. There, I don't want my water polluted there. I don't want to choke on dirty air. And these become kind of uh, dinner table conversations. And they're, 
they're very emotional. And where we don't, where the energy industry has failed to acknowledge and to address these issues in host communities, those folks who want to shut down development of domestic energy sources have taken advantage of that. Uh, and that's not just in the United States, that's around the world. And what I can tell you from having done work on, on every continent is that a person will not sell their environment for a job. It won't work uh, at that level. You know, in, in the 80s and 90s, we talked about it, NIMBY, not in my backyard. And it's developed into more aggressive. I mean, we're almost to the point where we're seeing echo terrorism in these local communities or or advocacy by ambush on local communities. And, and you will see more of that now. I think that people think that with the change in administration, many of these issues will go away. They won't go away. They'll just become more localized. So it, it is vitally important. Well, does, but doesn't it seem, Tom, though, when you look at it from, I mean, an outsider looking in, so you have all these environmental concerns coming from other countries. Uh, part of it has been self-inflicted in us allowing manufacturing jobs to go uh, to these other countries that don't really enforce or reinforce um, greener ways of doing it. And so now it's causing an effect worldwide, including the United States. And yet these green um, environmental companies take full advantage of suing the United States government consistently. While uh, I worked for uh, then Senator Gore when I was in my 20s, uh, he and I both speak about the environment, but our proposed political solutions couldn't be more different. Um, the name of his documentary is The Inconvenient Truth. The name of my documentary is The Whole Truth. Uh, so let me let me take let let me focus on the slice of climate change, and and tell you very quickly that uh, this issue was first formalized in 1992 at the Earth Summit down in Rio, where they where they then framed the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. And at that time, the exact language was to pull in all of the nations on earth to create a solution. Five years later, they, the UN went to uh, Kyoto, Japan, and it crafted what, what became the defining instrument for this for the next 10, 20 years called the Kyoto Protocol. And this is an important point. This was, this was an instrument that was going to begin to harness all the world's emissions and begin seeking uh, lowering those greenhouse gas emissions. Okay, so what was little reported, what you read about was there would be required reductions by the developed nations and, and really just reporting opportunities for the undeveloped nations. People read about this for decades, but what they didn't know was that in that list of undeveloped nations or developing nations was China, which is the number one emitter of greenhouse gases today, India, Brazil, and, and at that time, nearly 50% of the world's emissions were written out of that protocol. Today, it's more than half, okay? There you go. And Tom, we've got to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. The Women's Energy Network National Conference is coming up on April 26th through the 28th. This national conference brings together nearly 500 participants from across the country from multiple disciplines in the energy industry. The conference will showcase relevant and timely topics around the theme, energy resilience, refueling innovation, impacting energy professionals in the marketplace and the workplace. This is a great opportunity to connect with experts to increase your knowledge and transform your career while maximizing your contributions at work. 
The conference will offer a wide range of sessions to reach professionals in varying career stages, including executive-only tracks, continuing education tracks, and an exclusive mentoring circle. Companies and organizations in attendance will include FERC, Shell Oil, ComEd, ExxonMobil, Southern Company, Williams, Target Resources, and many more. Be sure to mark your calendars for April 26th through the 28th, 2017 in Houston, Texas at the brand new Marriott Marquis. Registration is coming soon, but you can definitely get details at womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston. Click on the events tab and scroll down to the 2017 Win National Conference link. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. And you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest is Tom Mulligan with Mulligan Attorney at Law. Tom, before the break, we were discussing two movies that were, one was uh, put together or created by you and the other one by um, Vice President Al Gore. Um, and you were discussing before the break a very interesting topic. Let's get back on that topic. You were discussing how a lot of the biggest actors in providing the biggest uh, error admissions on the planet were written out of a plan, the Kyoto Protocol. What specifically is that? The Kyoto Protocol was the the document that was framed as the follow-up to the Earth Summit that began to identify totals of global emission and then seek reductions. And on the day it was it was first framed, a little more than 48% of the Earth's emissions were written out. And Kim, just to be clear, I'm gonna. I hope you're sitting down because I'm gonna give you a real lightning ball here. There's only one atmosphere. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) and I say that because if what we're doing here is increasing emissions over there, we haven't we haven't addressed this issue. Do you follow? Because if it's if it's more over there than it would be over here, and global emissions have gone up, and that's what you're here to talk about, you're working in the wrong direction. And what has happened is that the United States has stayed largely stagnant with slight reductions that have been associated mostly with the downturn at the time of the economy, but global emissions have, have continued to skyrocket. And what you, the reason for that is this in huge, like nearly 200% increase in China's emissions and, and other countries that were not captured by the Kyoto Protocol. And that's on greenhouse gas emissions. And that's where I go back to talking about when we've moved these emissions to China and other so-called undeveloped nations, because of the the westerlies, the winds that can carry these pollutants, we've seen dangerous spikes and increase in other contaminants like mercury. So that what the public has gotten has largely been fragmented information that's been used to drive to a political solution, not an environmental solution. And I think that that is very important. And so case in point, I was invited several years ago to go to Minnesota. When I got up there, I thought I was speaking about climate. When I got into northern Minnesota, it really was about whether or not to reopen a, a, a steel manufacturing plant. And it had been largely reported that that 5 million metric ton footprint for that facility, the Minnesotans at that time, many in that area didn't want it. Many did want it. 
But this really captures this conversation. The locals said, we don't want the 5 million metric ton footprint. Okay. The, and then when I say local environmentalists said that on the other side of the room, literally were, were folks, the rangers in that area who wanted the investment and wanted the job. So we now got jobs, we got investment and we have an environmental issue. About four hours into this 45 minute presentation, I asked the side that didn't want the emissions. I said, if we don't get these emissions, if we decide that we're not going to open this plant here, do you think this plant will open somewhere? And they said, yes. And I said, where? And they said, well, given all you've said, probably China. And I said, okay, well, what's going to happen then? This too is a very important point. Well, they'll have that 5 million metric ton footprint. I said, well, no, that's not exactly right. The world will have that 5 million, but over in China, it won't be 5 million. It'll be 15 million because the most conservative number I've seen on carbon intensity is not one for one for reasons that we can start, we can talk about, but th three to one, three to five to one. So we're going to take that 5 million metric ton footprint for that manufacturing operation. We're going to send it to China. We're going to get global emissions of 15 million metric tons. We're going to get operations that are not as clean. And the Western United States is going to be choking on more particulate matter, more sulfates, more mercury. And the world is going to be dealing with more greenhouse gas emissions. That's exactly what has happened. That right there, that story has been told over and over again where we have moved and that brings you back to energy. So, you know, aside from the environmental standards that the government has continued to impose, if we don't have a reliable and affordable source for domestic energy, we're going to see more of that happening. Exactly. And, you know, the other really crucial part of this component, and thank you for explaining it in a way that we can all understand, is the other component, which is, okay, so if the United States is shipping off all of our energy needs to other countries that really are not promoting, uh, looking out for the best interest of the world pertaining to the environment, there's also another underlying area here, which is the U.S. is energy security. It's an important factor for the United States for us to consider when we're energy independent, this also helps us with our national security issues. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that. Well, that's, a, that's another piece that involves putting a couple of the dots together so that we, through the shale revolution, we have an opportunity to, to really put ourselves in a position of energy independence, energy security. Each year, we're spending somewhere a little north of $380 billion to import our energy sources. About $50 billion of that and that's a conservative number, is going to countries who are actively opposed to our national security. Now, when you look at that, if you, if you look at history a little bit, you go back as, as recent as 1969, and I'm going to walk through this slowly. In 1969, only about 15% of the world's oil reserves were owned by state-owned or controlled companies, okay? Iraq, uh, Iran. Today, it's a little more than 80%. So we're not just buying this from the corner bookstore, right? We're buying this from nation states who have stated objections to our national security. 
somewhere in the neighborhood of between 50 to $380 billion a year. That money is then being converted into military weaponry and is being used to shoot back at us. So it, it, this is just simply telling that story from statistics that are readily available. So those that would say that energy security and national security are not the exact same thing really need to take another look. We need to have an energy policy in this country that has integrity for this country. Exactly. And you know what, Tom, I I need to take a quick break, but I'm going to just end before we go into break of saying, you know, uh, Donald Trump, when he was running as want, wanting to run for president, he was uh, basically talking about how important energy was and the Shell Revolution to helping us get to being energy independent and, of course, increasing our national security as a nation. When we get back, I want to get back on topic on that. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Join TEAK, the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition, as we travel to the Texas Capitol to support energy and meet with legislators. The energy industry supports our local and national economy, and now we want to support it. Show your support of energy in America by joining us for the Citizens for Energy Day on February 22, 2017. To sign up and attend, please visit teak.shalemag.com. That's T-E-A-C dot S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. We'll see you at the Capitol. Hey, 2016 is a great time to grow your business, and there is no time like the present to improve the awareness of your brand. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us Info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. And you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest is Tom Mulligan with Mulligan Attorney at Law. Tom, before the break, we were talking about the importance of the United States continuing to engage in what I call the shell renaissance um, because we have been able through technology now to access resources that we never could before. Um, And so the United States is directly on a path for energy independence, which also I believe equates to the a really important topic, which is the United States no longer being dependent on foreign oil, and that is a real uh, potential possibility. But I want to deep. I want to dig in further to help our uh, listeners understand. You know, there's a lot when you think about energy. It's a very complex topic. There and there are many different topics that come into this conversation: security, energy, environment, all kinds of things. You have stated that without energy production in the United States. The economy will decline, global global pollution will increase, and the American national security will weaken. What and why do you say this? 
I've called that trifecta of doom because of the reasons we've spoken about today. When we don't have plentiful and affordable energy sources, we're going to lose manufacturing. And when we lose manufacturing, we're going to lose jobs across this country, just like we have over the last decade where we've lost more than 5 million manufacturing jobs. When our manufacturing moves to countries that don't have the same level of environmental protection and or scant enforcement, we're going to see the increase, which we've seen and we've witnessed, increase of greenhouse gases and other listed pollutants, which is going to negatively impact our environment and our health directly, where we've seen the westerlies bring Chinese pollution to our shores on the West Coast. And finally, we're going to see a much more difficult geopolitical situation where we're relying on our energy sources from stated opponents of our national security. Now we're spending about $380 billion on importing sources, and the, and the shale revolution will allow us to reduce and hopefully eliminate our energy uh, needs from those countries who've stated their opposition to our national security. And so let me just say this. There are those that would have you believe that you have to pick either protecting your environment or protecting your economy. And that's sort of the polarized way that the popular media deals with this issue. That, that is a bogus place to start. It, it also requires a much more thoughtful and sophisticated approach, but we absolutely can have environmental sustainability and economic sustainability. And let me add that if you have proposed environmental solutions that are not economically sustainable, that's a fad. That's not a solution. And that's what we've seen where people have tried to push technologies into the marketplace that haven't matured. I, I'll tell you this because you're in Texas, a fact that I'm sure you're aware of, that few people around the country are aware of, and that is when you look at who has the, the greatest amount of electricity production, far and away the state. If you ask this question on the street, street corner survey around the country, who has the, the greatest amount of renewable energy production? I'm sure people would start with California, perhaps Massachusetts or the state of Washington, but far and away, the greatest production is in Texas. And it's also where you've had the greatest amount of economic, positive economic activity with the CREZ project and, and the solar and geothermal. What you've seen is that energy companies have seized opportunities to bring developing technology like hydraulic fracturing to the marketplace. And it has been a world leader. We need to avoid that trifecta of doom by creating energy security here in the United States and using that to drive economic activity, to drive a cleaner environment, and to ensure greater national security. Well, Tom, what a great ending to the segment. For more information for our listeners to get a hold of you if they have more questions uh, on the environment or looking for an environmental attorney, give us your information of where they can contact you. Uh, it's Tom Mulliken at the Mulliken Law Firm, M-U-L-L-I-K-I-N. I can be found on the internet on our website at mullikinlaw.com, or I can be contacted at 803-425-7771.
And, you know, on our podcast, um, after it airs, we put it on shellmag.com, and our listeners can go and get more information from our website on you. That's all the time we have today, folks. Tom, it was a pleasure having you on the show today, and we look forward to you coming back and talking to us more about the environment. Well, Kim, great talk with Tom Mulliken today. He's, uh, you know, he wrote a great article for Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine. He sure did, talking about a topic that we should all know more about. Absolutely, and we're going to make that the topic of our trivia question this week. Hey, write down this email address. It's radio at shalemag.com. Again, radio at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. And if you're the first correct emailer with the correct answer to this trivia question, you'll win a $75 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao. Great Brazilian steakhouse. Amazing. Love Fogo de Chao. Here's the question. Are you ready? Everybody ready? You in the back, you ready? Okay, everybody's ready. Here's the question. What was the title of Tom Mulliken's article that he wrote for Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine? Be the first correct emailer to radio at shalemag.com, and you'll win a $75 gift certificate to Fogo de Chow. Kim, that's going to wrap it for this week. It's been a great show. It was. It went so fast. A lot amazing of guest. Amazing guest. Tom is an amazing attorney. You know, if you get a chance... Look him up. He's just a really great guy, really great attorney, and and he covers such a large gamut of different things as an attorney. Another one of our energy experts, I would agree. Hey, until next week, be sure and like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash in the Oil Patch Radio Show. On Twitter at Shale Mag. And until next week, adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.